It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. have tons of money and still be miserable right so like that was what i was going through at the time this like kind of like reckoning this understanding of like no amount of money is going to make me happy if i'm doing things i don't love i'm not contributing the way i think i should be and you can't you can't run away from that you know like once you know it you know it and i knew it so i was like i need to go do something else Welcome to Idea Generation's All Angles, a podcast about culture's most influential brands and the teams that built them. If you're an entrepreneur, creative, or anyone interested in harnessing the power of collaboration, join me, Noah Callahan Bever, each week as we dissect the most dynamic companies in culture. Because the only way to truly understand success is to look at it from all angles. Idea Generation's All Angles is a Will Packer Media podcast. In 2002, accomplished Supreme Creative Director Brendan Babenzian took his first swing at entrepreneurship and launched Noah, a menswear brand born at the intersection of nautical living and skate culture. However, despite critical acclaim and downtown cool, the brand barely made it a few seasons before Brendan was forced to put Noah on the back burner and resume his role at Supreme. 
But after a decade in the house that James Jebbia built, in which he helped take Supreme from a local skate shop in Soho to a global brand, Brendan decided it was time to revisit Noah. And with the help of his then new wife, Estelle Bailey Babenzian, he relaunched the brand in 2015 to industry fanfare. In the eight years since, Noah has grown slowly and steadily while maintaining the core philosophical commitments that animate Brendan and Estelle. Noah is a beacon of hope in menswear and fashion, exalting virtuous values like sustainability, quality over quantity, and forward-leaning but timeless designs. On this week's episode of All Angles, we talked to founders Brendan and Estelle, as well as brand energy director Johnny Knapp, to hear the full story of Noah and find out how the little shop on the corner of Mulberry Street in Lower Manhattan became an industry thought leader and a global brand. But before any of that happened, years before collaborations with Puma or Adidas, or being tapped as the creative director of J. Crew Men's, Brendan was just a teenager in East Islip, Long Island, looking for his first job. My first job was at a shop, a surf shop, skate shop. Back then, most shops were like surf skate. This is Brendan Babenzian, founder of Noah. For the most part, that job is a couple years, four years max, right? It's like high school or whatever. But um, I was fortunate enough to start when I was 13. So I went from 13 all the way to like 21. So when I first started working there, the shop wasn't even a full-blown shop yet. This is in my hometown. It was called Cards and Stuff. And it was like greeting cards and birthday cards and magazines and cigarettes and like all this stuff. And several years before I started there, some of the really older guys who who were kids at the time were like, hey man, you should sell skateboards or whatever. So he he brought in a few skateboards and then that aisle in the shop grew. And then there was like boogie boards and stickers started popping up behind the counter and this and that. And like over time, it really got taken over and became more of a surf skate shop. And then we moved. And the move is really what put the shop on the map because we moved into like a freestanding house that had been there forever on a street called Carlton Avenue. The house was a former funeral parlor. So it was like old and a little bit creepy and had like multiple rooms and stuff, but like we converted it and turned it into a shop. I, I think at 13, you have you don't have expertise in anything, but like I was a pretty good skateboarder and like I knew kids and I was into cool stuff. So I got the job and then started just as like behind the counter kid. My primary responsibility when I first started, fold the t-shirts, fold the sweatshirts, put the skateboards together when people came in to buy gear, you know, that was it. And then within a year or two, I started going to the trade shows with Rick, that was my boss, and um, started like participating in the buys. By 15, I was like buying. By 15, it was like, hey, go take that appointment with, you know, Name them, Billabong, Quicksilver, this one, that one, go do the buy, right? Plus finding new stuff, right? Because at this time, surf and skate, they're pretty much what you think of as surf and skate. But there was this whole other thing happening, right? Like we were into other stuff, right? Like we listened to hip hop, you know, not just like punk and new wave, we listened to other things. And coming out of New York, we were seeing other things, like from a clothing perspective and, and mixing it all up. So we were like, what are those things that you can pull in to this world? And, you know, to be fair, most of that stuff came through the skateboarding lens, not the surfing lens. Surfing was surfing for the Mm -hmm. most part. Quicksilver, Billabong, there was companies like Instinct. There was a ton, right? So that was kind of its own thing. But like skateboarding, you could bring in other things. And 
it would work for your skateboard customer, right? Like you could bring in brands that had very little to do with skateboarding specifically, but tangentially were really interesting, right? So like I was really into like music and dance and whatever. So like, I mean, there was all these weird little brands. We sold a brand called Label Whore. We sold a brand called Swank. As the head buyer for Rick's Surf Shop at just 15 years old, Brendan set out to find exciting underground brands for the store to carry. He didn't have to go far to find one brand in particular that would be very influential both on the market and in Brendan's life. Another Long Island native, Don Busweiler, had started his own clothing line, Pervert, and was starting to gain some momentum in the local scene. Pervert, for instance, Don started making t-shirts in 88, and we had Pervert t-shirts when he made them. Right? Like a few months after he started making them, we're like, hey, we want to carry those. We ordered like a dozen or two dozen of every design he had. I think he was still in high school probably, right? I meet Don in Sayville, Long Island at a carnival. I, I, I actually met him when I was around 13. It was really a group of people I met. He was one of them, right? So there was a whole crew from this town called Bayport, Long Island. My friend Chris Nicosia, his nickname was Scrub, his brother Steven, his other brother Larry. Don was part of that crew and there was a whole bunch of guys. And there's a bunch of us that went there to skate at the carnival. Like, we're like, oh, we'll just go. It's like in like a parking lot. We'll just skate and hang out or whatever. So like two groups of kind of outcasts met <laughs> and became friends. I really became close with Scrub, Chris, and his whole crew. But Don was part of that. Over time, Don and I got closer and closer. Um, he eventually moved to Miami to go to college and he was a little bit older, so he was gone. He left all of us. He like went out to the world. Don moved to Miami to continue to build Pervert, which became one of the defining streetwear brands of the early 90s. Soon everyone from the Beastie Boys to Janet Jackson were rocking Pervert. Meanwhile, Brendan, still on Long Island, tried to figure out what his move was gonna be after high school. I go through high school, I work at the shop. You know, it's a funny time because I was so into skateboarding and surfing and music and, and at, at that point now snowboarding. We got into snowboarding pretty early and just all, just different shit, you know what I mean? I, I liked the music nobody else liked and like, it was always like, I always felt like I wasn't connecting with people. But I also had this whole other life where I played lacrosse. That was something I did, right? And like, it was very complex for me because lacrosse, I actually love the sport. I don't necessarily love the tangential culture of it all the time, but the sport itself, the origins of the sport being like, you know, a, a native sport and the way it's played and just everything behind it. I think it's a great sport, but I, I wasn't like a jock, but I was good. I was like quite good. I played on the Empire State team, which was a pretty big deal. I probably could have been better if I committed myself more, that kind of thing. But like, I was good enough to like have college be part of the conversation for a sport, right? I was like, okay, I guess that's what I'll do. I, I didn't know anything, dude. I was like, I guess I'm gonna try and go to college and play lacrosse. Brendan headed to Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania to play lacrosse, but he quickly realized that it wasn't for him. Disaster. I, I hated it. I didn't fit in. I missed the ocean. I missed New York. It was like, nice place, great school. People were lovely, but like, I didn't connect with anybody. So I just left. I went for a year and I didn't go back. And then I just bounced around trying to figure out what to do. And at that point, that's when Don was like, hey, come work with me. Let's do this thing. Don's brand Pervert was blowing up and he needed some help. So he reached out to Brendan to see if he'd be interested in joining him in Miami to continue to build Pervert. He got to a point where he needed help and he needed people he trusted and knew the history and 
he knew kind of like thought like him and everything. So eventually I went to work with him after the shop. Helping Don build Pervert in Miami sounded amazing to Brendan, but he'd have to make a short detour first. I moved to Ohio first. His partner was based in Ohio. He was partners with a guy named Jimmy George, whose family owned a shop and the Midwest skateboard distribution company. So the warehouse for Pervert was based in Dayton, Ohio, because that's where he was, this guy was from. So I had to go to Dayton for like two months to like clear out the warehouse, sell through as much stock as possible. We were like calling the shops, being like, hey, you need some stuff, whatever. We're like trying to get it, get rid of it so we didn't have to move it. And that was a really difficult, difficult thing to do because I was I hated Dayton, Ohio so much. I was so depressed being there because all we did was work for eight weeks straight in a place where we didn't know anybody, where the weather was bad. It was super depressed. And I just was like, this is brutal. Eventually, we packed up a, a 30-foot rider truck. I drove the truck from Ohio to Miami without a co-pilot. Finally, after putting in some time in Dayton, Brendan headed to Miami to work with Don. When I first went to work with him, I was like helping with sales and just doing whatever, right? It was Don's thing, he was the designer, whatever. But it became, it's kind of complicated because like, I wasn't officially designing, but like everything I was saying was making it into the thing. You know, it was like, hey, you know what would be like, hey, well, let's this is dope, let's do this, whatever. And then like Don would go do it, right? So like, I don't know what you call that. I was just like doing whatever. While Brendan acted as a pseudo-designer and creative director, he helped Don take Pervert National. Unbeknownst to Brendan, over 4,000 miles away, his future wife and business partner was also getting her feet wet in the world of fashion, but having a much different experience. I grew up in England. I grew up in West Sussex, which is 30 miles outside of London. This is Estelle Bailey Babinzian, co-founder of NOAA. I studied fashion communication and promotion at Central St. Martins in London. I was feeling really disheartened by the fashion industry. It was quite vapid, it was really pretentious, very self-serving, and also at that time not at all diverse. It was basically high society, very white, a lot of cocaine, I didn't take drugs, I'm a person of colour, and I was just, didn't, even though I went to an incredible school and I loved my school, you know, it was one, like the best fashion school in the world and I loved their ability to, you know, really look at things in a really truly artistic way and not just commercial way, which was amazing. I just didn't really fit into the industry there and I started feeling like I, you know, I've always wanted to have a purpose-driven life and career and be part of something meaningful and that could actually kind of make a difference in a positive way. So I started thinking, well, if it's not fashion, Maybe it's, I, I love music and music changes people's lives, you know, like maybe I need to be working in a creative role in the music industry. So then I came, for my year out, I came to New York and I was looking for a job in the music industry in a creative role. And I got really lucky. My school approved it. Through a friend of a friend, I got connected to Dominic Trenier who had a label called Chiba Sound, which was part of Virgin Records. And we had D'Angelo and Mark Ronson and Nika Costa. And just by luck, his assistant, Jody Patterson, who's amazing, she was gonna be taking maternity leave. And he was like, okay, you can take her job if you want. I was like, perfect. I moved to New York, got involved with the music industry. Eager for a new experience, Estelle moved from London to New York to begin working in music. 
but it didn't take long for her to discover that the music and fashion industries really aren't all that different. The music industry also proved to be not really a great place for women. It was total boys club and you kind of really had to compete with other women as well and competing with the men and having to be a bit of a bitch really to sort of like make a difference or sort of climb to the top. I was like, this isn't the life that I want. This isn't conducive as much as I love music. This isn't making me happy and I don't want to compete in this way and I don't want this lifestyle. So I had to went back to the drawing board of just, well, you know, what have I always loved? What I what do I really want to do? I had always loved just brand creation. And even with artists, that's what I, I was really interested in, like creating the lifestyle, the brand, all of the things around the music, the expression of it, the visuals. I always had this dream of having a concept store. Like I loved to collect concept store and I always had this idea of creating a brand and a, and a store that was a little bit more purpose-driven, was also kind of rooted in creating or manifesting change somewhat in, in responsibly sourced and made and more ethical practices and sustainable practices, but also was cool and not crunchy granola. Because at that time, anything that was like used the word responsible or sustainable or all those things was like totally hippie. You know, it was even before Birkenstocks were cool. You know, it had a really different perception to what it, what it means now. But that was sort of something I wanted to be involved with. And I also loved interior design and store design and just hospitality in general and how to kind of combine all of those elements into one. Estelle's desire to world build led her to directing photo shoots and helping brands with visual merchandising. You know, I was producing photo shoots, art directing photo shoots. I started working back in fashion and interior design and I was doing this like store design with Donna Karen and Victoria's Secret and visual merchandising with on a freelance basis for different brands. I did have a, a network already from just my music industry days and then also just, you know, producing photo shoots and just having relationships with people that knew my work, that knew my creative ability, that I could help them, whether, whether it's a logo design or a photo shoot. I was never really a corporate girl. I was always entrepreneurial and always liked to work for myself and, and do my own thing. So it was just all about finding the jobs that fit and they tend to find me too. So for a minute, when I decided to move, leave the music industry, I just started freelancing. And I got some great projects and it was great. And I actually made some incredible friends from that time. Up staying up late, you know, doing visual merchandising in stores, like doing all nighters and it was crazy time. It was good, it was good money and made some incredible relationships from that time. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans. The chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As Estelle gained her footing in New York and honed in on her career, Brendan's work was about to take a 180. Don Busweiler, Brendan's friend and founder of Pervert, and the reason that Brendan had moved to Miami— decided to leave his brand at the peak of its popularity, give up all his possessions, and join a mysterious religious cult known as the Brethren. In an instant, Don was gone and wouldn't be seen or heard from again for years. So eventually, Don left. That's a story, right? I mean, I don't know if I can even start that story because that's, you know, we'll try and abbreviate it and say like... Don basically decided one day he was going to leave with these dudes and live like Jesus. Gives all away all his possessions, 
signs his clothing brand over to his one partner, his other business, which was a retail store in, in Miami called Animal Farm, to his other partner, and six weeks later or so, he's gone. I was like, okay, I guess, I guess I'll go back to New York. Though his future was uncertain, Brendan's return to New York was coming at the perfect time. Another up-and-coming streetwear brand, Supreme, had just launched in 1994, and its founder, James Jebbia, was looking for some help. When I was coming back to New York, James at the time had a Stussy store in Miami, and his brother was down there, Dan Jebbia, and Bianca, who is, is now wife, mother of his children, was down there. And I guess she told him, or somebody told him, like, oh, Brendan's coming back to New York. We didn't really know each other. I mean, we might have met once or twice. I had shopped in the store. They were buying pervert from us. So he was like, oh, cool. Maybe I'll talk to him about coming to Supreme. At the time, the shop was like multi-brand. He was doing stuff already, just not a ton of it. And it was kind of my job to figure out how to do it, find resources to like make stuff, use his existing resources to get stuff made, just like literally help build it from like the very little bit he had done thus far. It was multi-brand, but it also had, he had like Supreme t-shirts, he had hats, he had some sweatshirts, he'd have like a jacket or two, like he had stuff. It was probably like 96 at that point or something. And like, you know, but he, he was gonna do it one way or the other, right? It's James, it was gonna get done. I just happened to be the guy that like got in there at that point and was like, okay, I can help try and figure this out. Over the next years, Brendan helped James grow Supreme. But the idea of starting his own brand was growing as well. I knew I wanted to do my own thing at that point. Eventually I wanted to do my own thing. And I had other things I wanted to do, right? Like Supreme was Supreme. The brand was fairly solid at that point. Like it was gonna be what it was gonna be. And as someone who grew up as a skateboarder and into the things I was into, I think at that point I was like, I was young enough to still be like holding on to the, like the pureness of things. I was like, oh, this is getting kind of bigger now. Tangentially next to that, you had the commercialization of like hip hop, like apparel, all the brands that were like just going after. And it was all looking the same to me and it was all becoming big business. And they were all trying to throw big parties at trade shows and like to get your attention or whatever. I'm like, this is, I didn't sign up for this. So I was like, let me go somewhere else and do something different. And that, that was more or less what I wanted to do with Noah was like the opposite of that. At the time, it was really based on like going back to like how I grew up with like nautical culture, like the water and what does that look like. Brendan left Supreme to start his own brand based on his nautical roots and skateboard culture. But when thinking about what to call the brand, there was simply no better name than Noah. It relates to Noah, like the boat and water and just a fair amount of biblical references in what I do. Like we definitely go in and out of religious points of reference, not because I'm like this religious person, but because I did go on a bit of a journey when Don left, looking into religions generally. My best friend left, disappeared. He's gone, he's out of my life. One of the most influential people on in my life is now gone. Dude I learned so much from and with, guy I went to shows with, you know, learned about music with, skateboarded with, did things with is gone, right? So it forced me to look at religion and be like, why is he doing this? And, and I. Up to that point in my life, I had no religion. I wasn't raised with religion. So I just went into this deep dive. I mean, I studied the Bible with these like Rastas in Miami, like in Liberty City. I started seeing how religion is essentially just like, it's still ongoing, right? The power structure and its involvement in warfare. And, you know, that brought me to like the Knights Templar, right? Like secret societies. And that's the Red Cross is mm -hmm. the cross of the Templars. And 
what I discovered was, it's funny because I was always thinking like secret societies, they want to take over the world. They're in cahoots with the devil and da, 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 right? It's like, that's actually not accurate. That's church propaganda because secret societies back then were secret because these people were sharing ideas that would get them killed. The church would be like, that's heretical. You're burning at the stake or you're hanging or throwing you in a prison cell forever. So like, that's why they were secret. They were actually the enlightened people, right? Like shepherding in new ideas. But that's how, that's where Noah came from and the cross. And I also discovered the Knights Templar had like the largest naval fleet in the world. One thing we do know is that they had ships and they, they fled. Not all of them, a lot of them were captured and killed, but some of them fled and, and escaped and, you know, essentially became outlaws and pirates, which is another theme I've always been interested in. So I'm able to track all these things I've been interested in where they actually, they overlap. After years of helping other designers build their brands, Brendan finally had a label of his own. But the challenges that come with running your own small business were not few, and Brendan was not yet equipped to keep up. He failed the first time around, not because it wasn't critically acclaimed or that people didn't want it, but just the business structure that you need to have and support that. He just didn't really have the bandwidth or wasn't ready for that at that time. Like he was getting all kind of crazy orders and couldn't keep up with the orders and then, you know, not delivering on time and it just all became a little bit much. And so he shut it down, put it on hold, but in his head, he was like, I will do it again one day. After just a couple of years, Brendan decided to shutter Noah and to return to Supreme. But his second stint at Supreme would be much different than the first. Working with other like-minded creatives, Brendan was reinvigorated, and over the next decade, Supreme would become a well-oiled machine and make claim as the most popular streetwear brand in the world. When I went back, it was really fun for a while. We were able to put together a good team of people. It was really booming and, you know, it was getting really popular, but it was still not like mainstream style popular. It was just like the right people knew still. It was incredible. There was like a good run where it was just like, we made great stuff. Stores were opening, like it was just cool. Going to Paris all the time. And, you know, we would, as a team, we'd go to Tokyo a couple times a year and like do vintage shopping and catch up with the, you know, the Supreme people over there. It was just a really good time. While traveling the world and running around New York as creative director for one of the hottest brands out, it was only a matter of time before Brendan would cross paths with Estelle. My friend Beth Buket Gibbs, she was married to Chris Gibbs. They have union and they moved to LA and you know, that's Beth like family to me. She, she was always trying to like hook me up and I'm like, I don't want to be hooked up. But she's like, okay, well I'm coming to New York. We're working on this little fashion film. We'd love you to like art direct it. I'm styling it. This is the concept. Let's work together on this little film. And it was a, just a fun kind of art project. It was like, okay, cool. My friend Jake Davis, who was filmmaker. He's like, oh, you should come out. Beth's in town. We're working on a project together. Why don't we all go have a drink or whatever? Like, the way they tell it now is like that they kind of planned it. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but like that's the way they tell it. So me, Beth, and Jake were all chatting, and then Beth and Jake were like, oh, we should introduce Estelle to Brendan. And at the time, Brendan was the creative director at Supreme. I was like, sure, meet him, sure, it should be fun. I was like, but I'm not interested. Please don't try to hook me up. That's not my style. Like, I just wasn't in the, into the idea of being hooked up. But then we did all meet friendly in a way, all of us together. And Brendan and I just 
I don't know, we just kind of locked eyes for that moment. And I think in that exact moment, I was like, oh, I knew, but I put the idea to the very, very back of my mind because in my mind, that well, he wasn't my type. Yeah, we met, went to Peasant, just like next to Lovely Day. They had a wine, wine bar downstairs, it was really cool. And it was like a cold, snowy night. It was just like a tiny little room, just hanging out. It was, it was fun, it was really cool. I just just didn't like this idea of being hooked up, period. And then, yeah, I just put that to the back of my mind. But I was like, I, but you're going to be my best friend. I want to know you. I want to hang out with you. And then we started hanging out and we became like super, super close. Like I wanted to be with him every single day. But I was like, this isn't a date. We're not dating. We're just good friends. And then eventually it was like, look, either we're going to start dating or I'm going to start dating somebody else. And I was like, okay, date somebody else. And then he dated somebody else. I was like, oh, don't like that. What am I, what are you doing? That doesn't work out. And then, you know, a month later, I'm like completely in love and I'd gotten over myself and these silly ideas of what I thought I wanted to be with. Because I guess we just kind of knew. Our dreams were aligned. We were interested in the same things. We had the same principles. At that time, he was, you know, working his ass off at Supreme and but still like very humbly and the designs and stuff of Supreme are really reflective of Brendan's life growing up. Brendan and Estelle were in love, but a decade into his second stint at Supreme, Brendan was falling out of love with the brand and felt his time at Supreme was coming to an end. At that point, I was a lot older. I had a lot more experience. I had a much clearer vision of what I wanted to do. The world had changed dramatically, right? Now we have the internet and websites and social media. And also, quite frankly, what I viewed as a need for someone to emerge out of the space that I had been living in, which I don't even know how to define it anymore. Like, is it streetwear? Is it skateboarding? Like, what, what is it? But I just felt like somebody needs to, like, be, I don't want to say better, because that implies that, like, we think we're better than others, like, but like a, a better, more responsible business structure, but still speaking to like fun and interesting things. But a big part of that was the product. I just wanted to make really great product. It's not that we weren't making great product at Supreme. It's just a different type of product, right? It's great for a certain audience and a certain thing. I mean, it still is cool, but it was really at that moment when the hype was serious, which was also a little concerning because it was like shopping became the sport. You know, it wasn't about what you do in the stuff. It wasn't about like street culture. It was about like flexing and having stuff just for the sake of having it. And people seriously lining up. And I guess Brendan was a little disheartened by some of that. And also we just started having mixed feelings about like putting guns on shirts and stuff. You know, like there was all these mass shootings happening and there's starting thinking about how things are made and where things are made and and what do we want our legacy to be and what do we want to support and and what that means i wanted to use better materials i just wanted to do it differently i didn't want to make clothes in asia anymore that was a problem for me so noah gave me the opportunity to use the best materials i could see in the world you know italian mills english mills we just use the best stuff basically and for me, a garment is the cloth. You can buy a cheap garment that's got cheap cloth, and a year from now, it's going to be like a dish rag or whatever, you know? Like, 
I want things that last a really long time, and I think that's how everybody should function. If we're gonna like stop the kind of like overproduction and overuse and destruction of resources, basically, we need to like pull it back. I'm not an extremist. I'm not like, yo, let's live in caves. That's not my style at all, but I do think that we overdo it. For me, it's like, keep it longer, you know? And in capitalism, that's controversial, right? Because it's like, capitalism is like, no, man, like, go, make as much money as you can. Like, why would you leave any money on the table? Like, you're supposed to like, build, 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 build. It's absurd. We take these great ideas and then we kind of like, beat them to shit. And I can't speak for others, but like for me, making the most money possible wasn't and isn't necessary. Yeah, I want to be comfortable. I want to take care of my family. I want them to have a future. You know, I want to all be good. But um, well, how much do you need? You can have tons of money and still be miserable. So like, that was what I was going through at the time, this like kind of like reckoning, this understanding of like, no amount of money is going to make me happy if I'm doing things I don't love. I'm not contributing the way I think I should be. And you can't, you can't run away from that. You know, like once you know it, you know it. And I knew it, so I was like, I need to go do something else. As Brendan thought more about his future and the legacy that he wished to leave, it led him back to his roots and back to Noah. He was like, I will do it again one day. And I think just me coming along and was like, yes, now is the time. Like, we have, we need to do this. And... Let's start doing it now. And it didn't happen right away. We were working on it for a couple of years before, like several years actually. Like we launched it at the same time as like when, after we were married, we kind of, we had our baby, Sailor, and that's seven and a half years ago. And we opened up our pop-up shop at the same time in 2015. So, you know, and if we met in, I guess, three or four years before that, we were just working on it that whole time, just, you know, doing all the things that you need to do and, and, and really not just the structure, like finding the lawyers and writing a business plan and, you know, it's like setting up the LLC and, but also it's like, what do we want to create here to create like a heritage brand? And how do we want to start a brand and a business that is purpose-driven and meaningful and not just for the hype, you know, or not just to put more products into the world because we're getting a little bit disenchanted by just consumerism and, and hype and but still being able to put out cool interesting quality products that have value have meaning have reference that have, have good style good quality but are, are made really responsibly and also what does it mean to have a brand and to have a shop and a community space and create that experience so it was really fun because I had oh, my ideas and obviously Brendan has all of his ideas and it's rooted in what the general design direction was of Noah from the beginning and then sort of just merging these concepts together to sort of give birth to Noah again. Brendan left Supreme for a second time and went all in on a second attempt at Noah but this time he now had an extra 10 years of experience, a focused vision for what the brand would represent and the support of his wife Estelle who had her own point of view and her own entrepreneurial experience. I was never used to having like a steady job with a steady income. Sometimes I was had great money, other times like shit, how am I gonna pay my rent? So I wasn't afraid. And actually my, my family life growing up was kind of like that too. Like we went through a recession, I remember at one point, 
I felt like you know, we're not wealthy but I was like oh this is good like we're shopping at Harrods and getting ice cream and then two years later we're like oh shit we have to sell our house and move into a rental and you know I'd been through these extremes up and downs and then I moved here by myself an illegal immigrant essentially so I wasn't afraid of taking risks and I don't really have that anxiety of that or that I don't sit in that comfort zone so I was like down for whatever I was like okay cool like you're talented I'm talented we have nothing to lose I guess a little bit naive everything to gain I was also kind of a bit younger than Brendan so I was just like you're amazing like we got to do this like what do, let's do it Brendan and Estelle had a new vision for Noah but instead of building the brand out of their own pockets, they put together a business plan and went looking for investors so that they could start with some capital. We had a business plan that was good and we raised enough money to open the shop and build the website. We raised a few hundred thousand, like less than a million, like $700,000, so not even that much, which was great. We had a really solid business plan. We didn't even give up that much of a percentage to raise that much money. So it was good because ultimately we still like we only gave up i think like seven percent or something of our business at that point which is pretty incredible but that is because brendan came from supreme and people had trust in him and that he would be able to design clothes that people would want and also we were very resourceful with that money at that time to be able to sort of do all the things that we did with our small team we started with our office in our house and then we opened the shop and our office was in the basement of the shop with funding in hand, Brendan and Estelle went about building the business of Noah based on one key word, responsibility. Then obviously, business of the brand was also important to like build a different type of business. The first time I wasn't thinking that way, I was too young. I wasn't there yet. I had all these seeds of like caring about the world and the environment and this and that, whatever, but like I, I wasn't old enough or smart enough to figure out what it all meant yet. It wasn't until I relaunched Noah that like we figured out you know Excel and I were together we were having a child and it's like I just need to do a business that does something good gives back not just in one way but multiple ways like and that was it it was like the only way we go forward in this world like having a child and feeling good about ourselves is like we start building something that we feel like eventually at least would be part of the solution and part of the problem the, the fundamental belief was forget sustainability just use the word responsible Make responsible decisions as a business that you can feel good about. If you do that, that's like phase one, right? We're not developing new cloths. We're not Patagonia. Like I can't invent a new fabric. I don't have R&D teams being like, we need to replace whatever. So we have to rely on the industry to do it. And then we, we try and become early ad adopters of things. But our fundamental belief is like, make a great product, educate people about wearing products longer, keeping products longer, focusing on their own interior belief structure. Like, what are you about? Who are you as an individual? Forget the shit we show you on Instagram. Forget like the trend, the this, the that, whatever. Like that shit is corrupting. Corrupting, 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 corrupting. It does have power over people. It's crazy how powerful that stuff is. But we're, you know, we were like, we'll just make great shit and encourage people to look at it from their own lens and use it how they want to use it. It just goes back to being a kid again and being an individual and being into what you're into mm -hmm. organically and letting that be the thing as opposed to trying to fit in with the thing that's happening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In 2015, Noah officially relaunched. As the brand started to make a name for itself in the streets of New York, it would eventually land on the radar of another soon-to-be-important part of the Noah team. I grew up in Bellport, Long Island, so it's like a coastal on the Great South Bay, right by Fire Island. This is Johnny Knapp, Director of Energy at NOAA. Brendan and I, we have, I mean, we came from a very, very similar place. Like, 
the Great South Bay is kind of like the major waterway that kind of like all life is kind of centralized around. And especially if you're like coastal, like we were. When I graduated school was, I graduated in 2007. We saw that recession happening. So the town that I'm from was pretty much like a ghost town during that recession. Like there was a lot of vacancies and some friends and I, we started a shop called Corner Store Collective pretty much this store that was like on the four corners. It originally started as we got in touch with the landlord and we were like, hey, it's kind of like an eyesore to have like one of these beautiful buildings in town kind of vacant. Like, why don't we do like a little window installation for you and take it from there? So overnight we pulled what we can from like barns and attics and basements. And we created this whole like summer display, kind of an homage to the town. We got a lot of positive feedback from that and the landlord was kind of like oh why don't you just like hop in and like do a store here for the summer so we were kind of very you know inspired there was this very like kind of collective like bringing all sorts of walks of life like all this mixed bag and like you put them under one roof and kind of like see what happens from there and we were super successful we had like a print story in vanity fair new york times did something online the corner store collective was a hit and it taught Johnny valuable lessons that would prove useful when it came time to work with Brendan and Noah. But before Johnny would end up there, he still had some surfing to do. After that, my uh, two partners at the time, they were still in college. And so they went back to school. I was older and I still had this like itch to scratch of like wanting to go travel the world and surf. So I went to Hawaii for a while for that whole season and kind of like did my time there. During my whole time in Hawaii, I was like really thinking about New York. When I came back from Hawaii is when I got an apartment in the city. It was just literally like a glorified locker just to like have your clothes, shower, rest your head and then get out the next day. Like from sunup to sundown and then some, you were just like out in the city. Now living in New York City, and with a background so similar to Brendan's, Noah landed on Johnny's radar quickly. The shop, located at 195 Mulberry Street, became a cultural destination. The store offered a comfortable, inviting atmosphere, and customers came for the vibe as much as the clothes. In the shop, it's super important to create this atmosphere and this experience that feels informative, but not intimidating, super welcoming because it's all about the experience, right? When you go into one of these shops. We try to also create that experience online a little bit by just showing people what we're interested in and what we care about. And that kind of draws the attention. People that care about this kind of stuff are then drawn to our brand. One of those people that was drawn to the brand was Johnny, who would continue to keep tabs on Noah. As funny as it may sound, this is gonna sound super like cliche, but as I was doing an investigation into the brand and I checked out the about page, I'm always like, that's something that I'll always like look on when it comes to whatever it is. You know, I'll always be like, oh, what, what's your mission statement? What's your about say? It's create the best possible products that inspire our staff, partners and customers to seek adventure and actively engage in the world around them. Expand on what it means to be a clothing brand by breaking down the walls of where the brand customer relationship begins and ends. Share our adventures with our customers and encourage them to share their adventures with us. Promote goodness and challenge conventional wisdom. And when I clicked on that and kind of like read it, like what was said 
like really resonated with me and it was kind of like the thing that was just like kind of pulled me into the door or it was like I kind of want to be around that like for me that's like sign seal delivered you know that was like I don't see other brands in that space like talking that way with a clear impactful mission statement and the help of Brendan's pedigree Noah quickly received rave reviews from both the press and customers Obviously, you know, Brendan being from Supreme gave us an advantage where people were interested to see like what it was going to be and what it was going to look like. And we got some great press from that because everyone was excited to see what it was. It was an excellent platform for us to launch from, actually. And it was a great captivated audience from the beginning and we really appreciated that. So, I mean, and you know, nobody knew of me. I'm just like in the background and that's, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to sort of be in that role, just in the background, sort of helping to manifest and build and bring everything together. And I guess being in love kind of gave him a little extra motivation and that extra push. You know, like we were like part, that partnership kind of drive. And like in hindsight, maybe, you know, it would have been definitely safer because like right after that, Supreme like sold or got that massive investment. Shortly after leaving Supreme, the brand sold to VF Corporation for a whopping $1.2 billion. Brendan missed out on the payday from Supreme, but he had gained everything with his own brand. Everyone got nice big checks and like, great, but we missed out on that. But what we did gain was something that we felt really good about. And, you know, it's definitely not been like the easiest ride, but it was received really well. And people were supporting, were supportive of what we were doing. I don't know, it was just a funny time. I wasn't really thinking. And I think when you're pregnant too, and, and then you give it, you're just in this mode of, you have this extra motivation. I think a lot of women when they're pregnant actually start businesses, funnily enough, because it's just this time of like, you're purpose-driven. And we just were young-minded, had this, you know, like new family coming, and I knew it could work. I knew it could work. Noah's success was instant, and the company was profitable from year one. But the seemingly overnight success was actually a long process of foundation building by the team that happened over years. We were like profitable from year one, which was really incredible and impressive at the time, because I think we did have a really good business plan that didn't rely on a massive investment at the beginning. It was like slow and steady. And even now, because we have in our minds to be a heritage brand. Like we want to be around for a long time. This is not a model that we're trying to build a business fast and super successful and get super hype and then sell it for millions of dollars. Like that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to grow a family business, a heritage brand that'll be around for a really long time, making really good stuff. And we're down for the slow and steady thing. And actually we never really wanted to be like a hype brand at the beginning because then you can just fall off the edge of the cliff and then nobody cares anymore. Cares anymore. Cares anymore. In the years since its launch, Noah has established itself as a true staple within the menswear world. And though fashion tends to be led by trends and youth, Brendan is still finding inspiration, creativity, and the will to push Noah forward. Sometimes inspiration comes from like negative shit, but like you like, it motivates you to do something. So like skateboarding, surfing, like these things, like, 
those are the expression of something that comes before it. Like you, you mentioned the word curiosity earlier. That's the thing. You still want to see things, still want to know things. You're still interested in what's going on out there. And if you can retain that, you do extend your kind of like, not just like your relevance, your creativity, like you, you, you can still be a part of things. And what's really interesting is like, historically, these rules, but they're fake. Like who made these rules, right? That like you get to a certain age and then you gotta like behave a certain way, dress a certain way, like they're kind of silly. You know what I mean? So like, if you can kind of withstand that, like push back on that, you stay a part of everything. David Byrne, I'm not sure how old he is, but like I see him, you see him in openings and he's around, he's riding his bike. Like he's still relevant, he's still curious of creating, right? You know, when you think about the path from 13 to 51, you know, I'm like kind of still the same person doing the same thing, <laughs> which I love. Like, I mean, I've, I've, I've managed to do what I set out to do, which is like stay connected to these things. Um, but it's rewarding, you know? Um, and I think I used to be really concerned about aging, but you know, what I realized is like, I know everything I know because I've been around for so long. <laughs> like I can, I can use that information. Being as environmentally conscious as you can. If you're creating something, there's gonna be a byproduct to it. And what is that byproduct? The neat thing is, is that we, you know, wanna to commit to keeping that shirt, garment, whatever it may be in rotation, you know, not to kind of discard it for reasons that it's like not holding up. It's scary because we're going from like mom and pop. It really feels like we're still a mom and pop brand. I think people think we're kind of bigger than what we are, but you know, I'm still going to the store here and like fixing stuff. And you know, it's like a mom and pop family shop still. It just still feels like that, which I think is part of the beauty. And I want it to, I want every store to have that feel. It's an exciting time to think about, well, how do we maintain the ethics of the brand and that feeling and the soul of the brand? And it's all about really just caring for your people and for your team and for them really caring about the brand. Still sort of kind of building the family, but keeping that trust and that kind of connection to each other within the company and then also to the customers and the community around it. The story of Noah is one of second chances. When Brendan left Supreme the first time, he gave Noah a shot and realized quickly that he was neither ready to lead nor had his personal vision come into focus. Thankfully, he was able to return to Supreme to continue to hone his craft until he felt prepared to revisit Noah. With 10 more years of storytelling and brand building under his belt, Brendan then knew how to weave his interest in surf, skate, and a roots nautical aesthetic into a coherent and comprehensive identity. And just as important, the addition of Estelle imbued Noah's second iteration with an entrepreneurial acumen and a focused philosophy. Together, they knew how the clothes should look, how the business should operate, and how the brand should make you feel. And with that unity of purpose, Noah has bucked the fast fashion industry trends and built a generational foundation. For Idea Generation, I'm Noah Callahan-Bever. Thanks for listening to the All Angles Podcast, presented by Will Packer Media. If you've enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to like, comment, DM, or tell a friend to tell a friend about Idea Generation and the All Angles Podcast. We can't do any of this without your help, and honestly, your support means everything. We do this for you, 
and we can't do it without you. This episode was brought to you by Will Packer. Executive produced by John Balachek and Helena Ox. Original music by Valentin Fritz. Edit and sound mix by Nonsensible Production. And hosted by me, Idea Generation founder, Noah callahan Beverly. Idea Generation's All Angles is a Will Packer Media podcast. It's brand new, season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilbur Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.